All right, welcome back to another episode of St. Pete's Pearls. It is May 15th, Friday, your sustainability segment. Uh, April and I have a couple guests for you today to, to talk about clean energy and policies and groups surrounding clean energy. I'm proud to introduce, uh, this is Dharma Sawyer. Dharma, tell me who you are, what you do, and what qualifies you to talk on clean energy, sustainability measures. How have you been involved in the community? What's your kind of background to all this? This is Dharma Sawyer. I am currently serving as an energy consultant and sales manager for Rocky Mountain Renewable Energy. So we're a contractor in Utah, as we cover many states, but our mission is to make solar energy accessible to homeowners, business owners, and so I have to develop my own knowledge as an expert in the field. That means that I study the the politics and the nitty-gritty of why it works, how it works, and where it's headed. So there's lots to talk about today. Thanks for having me on the show. And who do you have over there, I April? I have Dan Kiley. He is a freelance consultant and also a poor man's philanthropist. What do you want to say about yourself, Dan? Um, well, that's that's kind of my tagline <laughs> recently. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the clean energy thing, uh, my interest was sparked way back when I was a little kid. Uh, the, the World's Fair back in 1962 actually had a solar panel. And uh, kind of a nerdy kid, also athletics and music in my youth, but uh, and a lot of time in the outdoors, but that kind of stuck with me. And eventually I, I did get uh, my undergrad in uh, electronics technology and was in aerospace for many years. And uh, retired from aerospace last year and uh, am now pursuing uh, the clean energy full-time. Um, certified with the North American Board last fall uh, called NABCEP. So uh, my expertise, uh, the, a lot of the technical and engineering and design, uh, feasibility, um, and as well as uh, keeping up as best I can with policy um, and uh, practical applications out there for, uh, for people. So uh, recently I've just been doing some design work and consulting work and reviewing bills for, for customers, um, uh, helping them analyze the feasibility and how well their systems that they already have might be performing. So that's what's been keeping me busy lately. And that's worked out well during this weird time to, yeah. uh, to be chatting with people on the phone and getting their bill online and helping analyze what's going on. And what would you say, Dan, You are, why you're into clean air is you were a – grew up on the west coast you're an old hippie well yeah being raised uh on the uh, in the northwest in the seattle area uh, even if you were an athlete um you were influenced by the hippies okay. and uh, uh heavily influenced by the hippies and back in the 70s there was a philosophy that that the hippies were perhaps leading but that permeated throughout our culture up and down the west coast of of uh having a minimal impact on, on the earth and uh, living in more in harmony with the earth. And uh, unfortunately, the American culture did not adopt that and stick with it particularly well over the last 30 or 40 years. Um, extreme source of frustration for myself and a lot of my, my fellow baby boomers. Um, but now we perhaps have an opportunity to turn the corner and uh, get things going again. So, um, And I am retired from uh, a very demanding 40 years in aerospace, so the time and energy uh, is available to me right now for the first time in many years uh, to come back to this. And, and oh, that's yeah. that, that's good. And actually, that's a sentiment I've heard 
before. You're not the first gentleman who is retired from an industry who feels that, okay, now is the time for me to, to get involved with exactly that. Ideals that were important to you in maybe your youth, but the, the direction of the economy, the world, however you want to look at it, seems to have just kind of changed and you, you ended up wrapped in a, a career position in the aerospace industry, correct? Now you're back into the world where you can kind of get back to the things you cared about as a youth, as a child, clean energy, taking care of our, our environment. Because on this podcast, if you haven't listened to it a lot in the past, like that's a big thing is that we do live all on this planet. We need to take care of it. This is why I have a sustainability segment for Friday. We need to be those stewards uh, and not get wrapped up in in the corporate world, right? Yeah. And I think in the end, we're going to have to draw the corporate world in. They wield a tremendous amount of power. So that's that's going to be pursued more at the political level. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a hands-on, boots-on-the-ground, uh, wrench-turning, wire-pulling kind of guy, um, and I enjoy being involved at that level. But we're going to need the people fighting the battle on the political forefront, too, that can uh, get the attention of the, of the bigger corporations and, and, uh, and government officials. Um, I've been pinging the, the Utah State Government Office uh, for about a month now and have not gotten a call back from them on some of the things I think see, need to be going on out on our public lands um, in the way of harvesting uh, the solar energy that's that's available out there um, and uh, not impacting any new uh, land by the way uh, where we already have roads and power lines in to support uh, fossil fuel extraction those same roads and power lines could easily be repurposed uh, simultaneously with harvesting the uh, the uh, fossil fuel energy, we could be putting solar panels right there, right next to that oil pump, and uh, be harvesting the solar that's hitting that, that uh, ground right now. And uh, that, would, that could take place without adding the roads and the power lines. They are already there. So uh, I'm, I'm uh, attempting to get the attention of the government, but that takes uh, perhaps somebody a little bit bigger and more powerful than me maybe to get their attention. Oh. Keep at it. Well, keep at it. It's all we can do, right? And this is our kind of duty as citizens if we're going to be politically engaged. If if all we are is our one vote, then use that vote. Uh, but you're more actually we're way more than that. I think we're told that a lot growing up and we think we can only go to the ballot box once a year, every four years, depending on what we're voting for. But there are other ways to get engaged. You can make phone calls, write letters, take actions towards your own community, right? Yeah. And then the, uh, the citizens' uh, action committees, the Citizens Climate Lobby, uh, the Beyond Coal campaign with the uh, Sierra Club, mm -hmm. you know, they're the ones where uh, those are the meetings that I attended over the last 20 or 30 years to keep a hand in this, uh, in this movement. And uh, uh, they're the political arm that would be helping fight, uh, you know, perhaps to get the attention of the state office to do some of these things. Um, we do have some projects that are going forward with putting solar out on the West Desert, and mm -hmm. there are some things going on, but we need a lot more of it. Yeah, and they're exactly. They're the political arm. They'll let them do the fighting there. Uh, show these organizations support. Attend a few meetings. Find out what they're about, what they have to 
to teach it and show you how you can take part. First, get down to basics and explain what solar is and why it's beneficial. Here up and down the Wasatch Front and, and even all over the Mountain West, most of our electricity, 70, 80 percent or more, comes from burning coal. And uh, according to uh, a lot of studies, uh, the average home burns about 13, 15, 17 pounds of coal every day, and that produces about 35 or 40 pounds of CO2 every day. And most of us flip the light switch on and don't give that two microseconds of thought. Yeah. But that is indeed where our electricity is coming from, is burning coal here up and down the Wasatch Front. Um, now, the, the mix of energy, we call it a mix because there's multiple different sources that, that power the grid. Okay. okay. Um, it's getting cleaner, and that's the good news, is that even our utility, who we sometimes vilify and point at them and call them Warren Buffett cronies, it's true, but they also have a side, which is responding to public demand for increasing wind and solar in the grid. So that's in there. There's a mix. We've studied exactly what happened in California and their environmental code as it changed in the early 80s sometime right Dan well my dad in the early 80s worked for a power plant and it got shut down during all that time what you're talking about where they wanted to clean the air so they shut down over half of all the power plants in California and then that was a uh, smud is who he worked for and then two years later rebuilt them so there's an era of cheap power. Yeah. And Utah is still in that era. Uh, that's one thing that makes it harder to sell solar here because it, it'll create savings for people, but not as much as if they had to pay their power bill. It was twice as much like it is in California. Uh, so we're looking at the reasons why that happened, their environmental enforcement codes. So they had to eliminate all fossil fuels burned in their state to create any power. So that left them with two options clean energy from inside of california or import it so they bring a lot down from the northwest and the hydroelectric where it was really cheap and pay well who's going to pay the fee for that transportation fee long wires infrastructure substations yeah. all along the way all that has its cost so that is passed on to the ratepayers, and so you see these spikes in in rates once you remove or kick out um the production from fossil fuels. So that's how, stor the short story of how California got to have the highest rates in the country, except for maybe one island in Hawaii, which was still burning diesel fuel to create their island's oh power. Um, and that could be worse, right? Uh, but so where's Utah headed? As we see this trend, adoption into the grid of clean energy because of the pressure from, from public entities and, and and the adoption of, of wind and solar driving up the cost. Whenever you build a wind farm, whenever you lay out a 5,000-acre solar farm, all that cost is right off the beginning. Boom. In the beginning, it's front-loaded. You need someone funding it so that that next 50 years of energy production will be, will be you know, guaranteed to happen. But the cost is there in the beginning, so it hits somebody really hard with a financial burden and that again ends up being the ratepayers in the state in the in the utility daniel comments um, yes the the uh along those lines the sierra club has been uh, instrumental in uh, um, forcing the 
utilities to uh, reveal some of their financial statements. And to keep these coal plants up and running, some of them are aging and they're coming due for maintenance and uh, to be totally replaced or overhauled or upgraded. And there's cost incurred there as well. And uh, in the last five to 10 years, wind um, has achieved parity. In fact, even uh, the accounting now says wind going forward will be cheaper than even refurbishing and overhauling and keeping some of these coal plants online. That wind power has now become cheaper, um, even with the costs that Dharma just talked about. So there is um, an argument that it will cost us more to retrofit a lot of wind and solar, but then you have to compare that with the cost of just maintaining the status quo of keeping uh, some of this coal-fired stuff up and running, and the renewables start looking a lot more attractive. Uh, indeed, all the, all the numbers right now are that parity has indeed been achieved, um, and that we won't be spending a whole lot more, if any, uh, by phasing it over to, to cleaner sources. So um, it's, uh, you know, harvesting energy and keeping the grid going is going to be expensive no matter what we do. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the obviously the lesser of two evils now uh, with the, the parity achieved with renewables, uh, we're going to head that way. So it, it's happening. We talk about the cost and we're looking at monetarily, right? We're talking, we're, I don't know. We think our taxes, what hits our pocketbook. What, what we don't talk about are the other costs involved in this, uh, the what are externalities or whatever they call them in the, the economics world. And these are things that aren't exactly monetarily built to that, but they're connected to, and I'm talking about like the healthcare, the, the social yeah. aspects of this, our well-being if, if producing electricity using burning coal in a place like Utah or refining up and down the Wasatch from burning it in our tailpipes and out of our houses, right? Create an atmosphere where we understand this inversion makes our lungs hurt when it sits on us. Asthma cases go up, hospital cases go up, hospital visits, so insurance costs, right? So I think it's hard to see that in this system that we have, but I think that's a cost that we ignore often. Um, that the Sierra Club Beyond Coal campaign and UCARE and a number of uh, Union of Concerned Scientists, uh, this in uh, publications like the Scientific American, this does get a good uh, uh, communication and, and uh, it's been well studied. It is unfortunately not on the nightly news. Um, it's just not part of our, our everyday cultural conversation. Um, in certain parts of the U.S. and certain parts of the world, it is. When you sit down with a cup of coffee in certain cities um, and you'll hear the conversation at the table next door, these topics are often discussed, but on the nightly news and uh, day in and day out, uh, most of us uh, don't give this a lot of thought. And uh, it'd be that's partly why I like participating in these forums because we're trying to elevate this stuff and get it more on people's uh, conversations. So, Dharma, I've walked around the neighborhoods with you and you kind of showing me the ropes in the solar industry. Uh, you're really good with people. Is How would you make that a little more digestible to, to people in Utah who might not kind of see that connection, kind of understand why 
health-wise, for our communities, for ourselves, for our families, maybe not right now, but in the long term, this transition would be beneficial not only to their pocket, but to the make them care a little bit more. How, w- how would you put that to them? We have to approach it from the, the holistic standpoint of people are going to do what they can with what they have where they are. I love that saying. Okay. And that's why being pushy and being salesy is, is not the right approach, and I don't use it. I'm a consultative approach. And so we care. I mean, we care about people's families. If they have reasons why solar will benefit them, it's an honor and a privilege to show that to them and explain it. It's a teaching experience, not a selling experience so much. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there is a lot to learn. And once they, once they learn and educate themselves, they may start to realize, I think this is a fit. This works. I love this. And good. Let's do it. Let's sign. Let's get this going for you. And other cases, they they can't pass the credit requirement or they don't pay taxes enough to make a liability where they're going to take advantage of the federal tax credit. So if that's not applied, suddenly it's 30% more expensive to them. So there's no savings, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of pieces that need to fall into place to make that kind of ideal adoption of solar on a home. It has to be just the right profile. So it's always a free and educational experience to find out if somebody wants to know if they might be a fit, what are the requirements, and and what are the benefits. They can always get a customized information packet. You know, we do that all the time, and we don't charge people for the info or the consultation. It's all about finding a fit. I have a question about the Utah's limiting how many people can have the solar power? How do they go about doing that? Do people have to apply for something to get the solar? So they do. That's part of like. Yeah. So there's an application which oh. your solar company, if you so choose to go through an installer, you go th- and have them do this application for you. Oh. An individual do-it-yourselfer can also do this. Okay. And it's just a process that you got to educate yourself on how to do it. It's a net metering application. also known as. Um, export power, Dan, right? What's the other term? Surplus power or exported power. Yeah. Um, so and, and what it means is that a system that you scale properly to cover 100% of your home's needs needs to cover winter when there's snow on the roof and you're not making any power yeah. extra to cover those times, also night times. So okay. without using a battery on your system, that means you're dependent on a utility contract which will compensate you monetarily for your extra power you send it out once you have a net meter approved and put on your home with a solar system it's counting backwards i mean some of them do actually roll backwards right dan the old mechanical meters actually would run backwards (laughs) you can Uh, watch that thing go backwards and and, uh, the digital meters that we have nowadays to take care of it all electronically and and communicate with the utility and and, uh, help ensure that you get credit for when you are producing a surplus Right, so everything is measured measured and metered, and how do they crack down on yeah. solar adoption? That's what we're Good question. question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the availability of that net metering agreement is what they can control. They can only control it up to the, uh, up to the measure that um, the public 
Security Commission, PSC in Utah. That's a governing board that regulates what the power company can and can't do for policy changes and rate, rate hikes and things like that. So it all has to be approved through this political process. And that's where we come in, and some of our listeners might come in and say they care about this issue. They want to step in and, and promote what's going to be beneficial for continuing that adoption of solar in Utah. The utility, on the other hand, their interests are corporate and profits. So where it starts to cut into their profit too much, because they're, think of it this way, they have maybe a couple million customers with electric service in Utah, but every time someone goes solar, it's like they've just lost they've one. Lost. Yeah, yeah, no longer. That person's still kind of surfing on the grid, but without having to pay their dues. So that's their viewpoint. They've they've complained in front of the PSC that well they can mo they can put a number with it and they'll say like solar is is costing us you know fifty five million or whatever it is every year in profits and it's true because yeah they are allowing those customers to use the grid infrastructure for only one connection fee of seven or eight dollars a month um, and the rest of it is produced on site. You know, uh, so that is damaging to the business model. Warren Buffett, he likes to make money, right? So, so the caps, how do they work? Um, date, date based. So going back to the end of 2017 was the first time that a ratcheting down of net metering occurred for Utah customers. So if you were before that date and had a solar system, I got mine put in like a month before and rushed it in to get. You had to have the panels on the roof at least to a certain stage where you could say, okay, I applied. Yeah. Or they got a bolt in the yeah, roof or something app, like my that. My application had to be in. You need the design and engineer approval and, and building permit by that date. Or you're turned on and you're already using solar energy before that date. Either way. And then grandfathering protected those people that already had it, so they're good going forward. They get to have the net metering 100% of its retail value. And then that change came along November of 2017. And they they did a little different system after that. And they said, this is going to last three years. So we're going to give you three years window of time to get more people into solar in Utah. And then we're not saying what's going to happen after and November of 2020. Some of it off again. Well, yeah, we could read the writing on the wall. We know what their intentions were. It was to reduce... So they're not paying nearly a retail rate to the co solar owner anymore because okay. they had been paying 100% right of retail uh, value of the energy. But it went to about 93 94% after that change happened, and that lasts three years. So we're still in that period. Yeah. Through the end of this year, uh, someone can still get in and have that 93 or 94%. Where they're actually saving money compensation. by having the solar they're saving money by having the solar but you're saying after this year they'll go back to maybe even if they get solar panels they won't be saving the money like do you see a lot of customers that that's the whole reason why they get solar mm -hmm. is yeah. just to save money yeah mostly it is yeah it's a lot of killing two birds with one stone too people can recognize there's this great moral reason to do it air quality and other things we can talk about. Um, global warming and reversing the effects of, of carbon. 
in the atmosphere. Then again, you have the the penny pinchers that are just interested in some some more money in their bank account. They want that negative power bill. Yeah. Every month instead of having right. to pay the. Because even though it looks like a huge investment up front, and people will throw up their hands and say solar's so expensive, I I can't see how I could afford it. Well, what you you really can't afford is to pay your power bill for thirty years. Well, these people like you're talking about that have large families or large homes that aren't energy efficient, they're paying three hundred dollars a month mm -hmm. for this power. And especially yeah. we're coming up on summer where we hit hundred degree weather and we're running yeah. our AC nonstop. I was working for three on months. One last night on a proposal with someone with a huge power bill that's what you say, three hundred to three fifty and peaked out at six hundred per month. Oh wow. And so our calculations run through an algorithm that projects forward what's gonna happen if you don't get solar. Yeah. So that's thirty years of an escalating power bill. Okay. And we do it kind of on the conservative side because yeah, it could go up ten percent next year. We're not saying you it's gonna know. for sure. Okay. But we take a conservative increase okay. on that graph and we call it like four and a half percent per year just because that's what's been proven to be happening historically. Okay. So we project that going forward for 30 years, and plus there's inflation. So these things mean that that $300 a month electric bill, mm -hmm. someone has to pay 200000 in bills over their lifetime over or their that 30-year period. Over that, owning mm -hmm. that home. So and you, then they look at their solar proposal, and it says, I can take care of this problem for $46,000. It starts to look like... A better choice yeah and are there special loans out there for people that want to do these yeah yeah there's all kinds of lending okay yeah they can qualify they can go to their own bank and get an equity okay. line of credit loads of ways to do it we got special solar kind of lending well, that's what I'm wondering mm -hmm. if because it's solar if there's not just any loan but you some kind of not grant but well there's a cool one that will take take the tax credits that people are going to receive back from the government provided that they pay taxes and that uh -huh. amount and then they're going to receive it but not have to borrow that amount you okay. know what i mean okay the bank will give you a year or a year and a half with no interest no interest so that oh. so how long have you been doing solar panel almost four years four years so you started it before you got your own solar panels mm -hmm. have you seen a difference a difference in my own house yeah. with the yeah. yeah well i've seen the the eight dollar bills coming in Kay. in may and and certain months of the year and then other months of the year i get a 25 or 35 dollar bill because it's not a hundred percent coverage right in my case so i had trees it's one of the things you got to deal with is shade yeah and well and especially here in utah yeah. where even in the summertime we have a lot of cloud coverage it's not sunny all of the time so are you, even with solar panels, mm -hmm. you still have power. Yeah. So this is really important when you understand the net metering concept. Again, that, that, that says that overproduce for your home's needs on sunny days mm -hmm. and bank it up. Okay. So that when the sun's not shining, the snow's on the panels, you're just going to draw energy out of that bank. Okay. It, it, it happens it. Okay. on your bill. Okay. It's automatically... You don't have to throw a switch or anything you one way or okay. the other. It just happens automatically either flowing into your home when you need it at night and flowing out of your home when your panels are producing more than you need. Okay. And it's all instantaneous.
Yeah. That's the uh, that net metering agreement and the way the meters in the old days would actually run backwards when you were producing a surplus. Um, and, uh, and then you'd use those and, back and then it'll go and, forward as you're not having the and sun the, coming through. And at night, yeah, the meter would run in the normal direction because you are drawing from the grid. Um, now, part of the, the social benefit of that, this is kind of where I come in, the, um, when you are producing and you are banking that energy, um, in, my na in my home, Washington State, that's water behind Grand Coulee Dam that didn't have to come down that spillway and turn the turbine. They can literally shut off as more people adopt uh, generation, home generation solar, and there's a lot of wind in Washington mm -hmm. State as well. Um, that's water that can be held behind Grand Coulee Dam for irrigation, for power uh, in times of need, yeah. for recreation, for fisheries, et cetera, et cetera. So the net metering, uh, you can even think perhaps of Grand Coulee Dam or the less coal being burned over in price. Um, that's your battery rather than having a battery on your premises, which is a whole topic, whole new topic with a, a bunch of fascinating technology attached to it. Um, but that's your bank. So as well as getting financial credit for it, you are contributing to the social good and to the environment by not burning that coal mm -hmm. and by holding that water behind the dam. And we do have a couple of small hydros right here in the uh, Ogden area. So as more people adopt solar and are efficient with their energy use in their home, that's more water that we can keep up in Pine View for fish, for recreation, et cetera, et cetera. So as well as the financial incentive, um, the environmental and social good goes right along with that. Um, and it's something that's been, once again, kind of uh, in, uh, coming from the Northwest, been part of the conversation yeah. for a long time. And it sure. to remain yeah. part of the conversation. So my ex-mother-in-law and her husband live in Northern California on 40 acres off the grid and have that. Would you? How did you say that? It's a hydro? Uh, they have their own micro hydro. Micro hydro. That's right. what and then a generator for backup just Correct. in case. But Correct. that power is low. They built an adobe of sorts. So there's not solar in it, but it stays cool at all times. Yeah, that would be called passive solar, where okay. the, the, the building is designed yes. to, to uh, harvest the sun for heat and light yeah. with no electricity needed at all, yeah. and then to help keep itself warm overnight with proper insulation. So that's passive solar, okay. and, uh, and a little bit of geothermal might be tossed into the mix as well. That is a, a, a conversation for another, another meeting at some time. But uh, that indicates that there is true off-grid living oh yeah however a lot of people get confused when they say i'm gonna go solar in my suburban neighborhood i'm going off grid that's not off the grid. man yeah i don't need no. the utility why do you still need the utility well yeah the night times the, <laughs> the snowy times you yeah. couldn't do it unless you had a massive battery bank which yeah. gets really expensive so the dan said it perfectly the grid is your battery it doesn't cost you any more than seven bucks a month to stay connected to it okay yeah, th those type of systems are, are definitely uh, uh, available. They are more costly than a grid-tied system by, by uh, a factor of about two or so. Um, but those systems are available. And uh, uh, for people who want to go that route, uh, it can be done. Um, and how would they get in contact and reach out to you guys? Do you have a website? Where, where do they find you? 
Everyone goes to Facebook first, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we are on Facebook at Rocky Mountain Renewable Energy. Also, we shortened our website because it was terribly long. RockyMountainRenewable.com mm -hmm. still is up, but we also now have RMR-E.com for short. Or just Google us. Yep, and I just uh, created a Facebook page for myself uh, just recently, and I'm Pro Solar Dan on Facebook and uh, Pro Solar Dan at Gmail. Pro Solar Dan at Facebook and Pro Solar Dan at, at Gmail. Gmail. Yeah, great. Look up Pro Solar Dan, and he also instructs skiing. So if you're looking for a great level three instructor up on the mountain, reach out to to Dan as well. That was our show for today, Friday, May fifteenth. Hope you enjoyed. If you're considering solar, reach out to Dan or Dharma at Rocky Mountain Renewable Energy. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next Monday with another reading. See you then. <laughs>